0: Good morning, everyone. In uh, in Sweden, where I'm from, we have a saying that when when the cat is gone, the mice are dancing on their ta- on, on the table. And I I guess that's a little bit of a description of this morning, with uh, both Pastor Gary and Pastor Travis gone. But I will be bringing this word to you this morning. Um, my name is David Lundeen. I'm a member here at Trinity. But before we start, let's just uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for uh, being able to come here and worship this morning, God. Um, we are in awe of who you are. And um, we just pray that your spirit would move in this, in this sanctuary this morning in, in our hearts. Father, that we would see your word for us and that we would comprehend it and that we would take it to our hearts, God. And um, we just pray for this morning and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. There was an experiment done in the Netherlands a few years ago where some of the participants in this study were told that they were going to be intensely shocked 20 times. And then there was a second group of participants that were told that they were only going to be shocked intensely three times, and then just very mildly 17 times. But when when the results of this study came through, the results showed that subjects in the second group, who were only subject to three strong shocks, sweated way more and experienced much faster heart rates. Uncertainty, not knowing when the strong shocks would come, caused their discomfort. And a psychology professor at Harvard by the name of Daniel Gilbert said a few years ago that Americans are smiling less and they're worrying more than they were a year ago. Happiness is down, sadness is up, we're getting less sleep, and we're smoking more cigarettes, and depression is on the rise. The problem, he noted, was not financial or anything like that, but uncertainty. People just don't know what's going to happen in their lives. Will I have a job next week? Do I have a future? So in a sense, this nation and and millions of people suffer from a, a case of insufficient certainty. And this is a real issue. It's a real struggle. We worry daily, perhaps even hourly some days. Uncertainty is scary. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we really don't have to live like this, right? We don't suffer from insufficient certainty. We might not know what's going to happen to our family today or right here and right now, but followers of Jesus can and should live with a supreme certainty of what is ahead of them. The title of the series that we have been in as a church the last few weeks is All Things Are Possible With God. Well, this morning we're going to see that with God, it is possible for us to live with supreme certainty as opposed to with insufficient certainty and our text this morning is actually a prayer from the apostle paul to the ephesian church i'd like to invite you to open up your bibles to page uh well if you have a pew bible it's on page uh, eleven fifty-six. it's ephesians chapter 1 verse 8 18 through 21 ephesians 1 18, 21 I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So let's begin right there in verse 18. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And what Paul is saying here is crucial, and and the rest hinges on it, in a sense. And I guess... We can translate it into maybe our language and what we would say. Paul is saying, I pray that you may see with the entirety of your being that which is right in front of your eyes. I pray that you may see what is in front of you. I pray that you may see the reality in which you live as Christians. I pray that you may live in certainty of that. And this prayer is necessary because this doesn't come naturally to us right The thing is that we are so blinded by sin that we cannot see the things of God without the Holy Spirit illuminating them for us. That's what Paul is saying. Now, there are those who have become blind or lost some of their sight, and they can no longer see light like they've seen it before. And it's not that they've lost an eye, that the eye is still there, but it might be that there's something wrong with their lens, And it's not that the lens is gone, the lens is still there, but a film has developed over it. We call this a cataract. The eye is there, the lens is there, but the eye has become darkened because a veil or a cloud has come over it and the eye cannot see the light that is coming in from the outside. By nature, we are in sin. We are clouded by that sin in such a way that we are, in a sense, comparable to that defective eye. What this person needs is not a new eye, but that the veil, the cloud, that has developed in the lens is removed. Cataract surgery. Then the eye can begin to take in light and begin to see things properly again. This is like the Spirit enlightening the eyes of our hearts. Spiritual cataract surgery. Without the Holy Spirit removing the cloud of sin in front of our eyes, we cannot come to realize the things of God. And so as Christians, we continuously have to pray that God would do this, that he would enlighten our hearts, that we would see properly. It's not a done deal. That's a progressive thing. And that's also why we can't expect someone who is not yet a believer of Jesus Christ to properly understand the things of God. Because spiritual knowledge is not like the kind of knowledge that you can go look up in an encyclopedia and and study and memorize for an A on an exam. For you to know the things of God, God's Holy Spirit must bring it to your eyes. So then this morning we're going to look at three things that Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians to come back to, to see with their hearts and realize so that they could live their lives in supreme certainty. We shall ultimately see that Christians that we have supreme certainty through Christ, who has secured our future. Let's look at the second part of verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. If you're a Christian, God has called you into hope. And now God's act of calling us looks a little bit different for each one of us. But the hope to which he calls us to does not look different. It's not that you hope for this, and therefore you get that, or you really hope for this, and you get that. That would be to try and simplify God into some form of a cosmic genie, and and God's not a cosmic genie, right? He is the I am, the creator of the entire universe. He knows the number, number number of hair on your heads, even right after you get a haircut. He has designed the entirely unique DNA that is within you. He has put every star in its place. And he calls you into hope. But what kind of hope is this? It's not like one of those political rallies where where everybody puts their hope on a t-shirt or a sign and, and they're hoping for a certain change, right? Politicians and candidates, they call people into hope for change. That with them, everything is going to be okay. That with them, everything that is bad about a nation is going to go away. And now, as we know from experience, candidates will either win or lose. If they lose, we go off and we put our hope somewhere else, in someone else. If they they win, we all sooner or later get bogged down in the inevitable shortcomings of humans. And political policies come and go. God's hope is not like that. We don't put on t-shirts, rally with signs, and hope for the best. You have a supreme certainty of your hope. You don't have to settle wishing for the best. God calls us to hope. Now, the Bible teaches us about two different callings. There's the call that goes out to everyone on earth. Come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But obviously not everybody answers that call, right? We have people in our lives, people in our community, people all around the world who do not live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why we send missionaries, right? And that's what, why it's important for us to disciple and evangelize, because, because we have a part and a role in sounding forth the gospel, letting everybody know that Jesus is the Son of God, and invite them to come and believe on him and live under his lordship. But not everybody do. The second call that we see in the Bible is what... Um, Theologians call the effectual call and all that that means is that the first call has been effective Paul is writing his letter to a church to the Ephesian church. He's not talking about the general first call He's talking about God's specific calling to the people in that church to himself That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you Paul said God called the Ephesian Christians to a relationship with himself Their hope isn't something that they desire. Their hope is their relationship with the I Am of the universe, with the God who created everything. Their hope is Him. Their hope is what He gave them when they answered His call. Their hope was made possible by what Christ did on the cross, sacrificing Himself for our sins, and was made possible by the power of the resurrection. Now, what happens when someone who does not yet believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What happens? What happened to you? If you're anything like me, there wasn't anything spectacular. I didn't look any different. I don't think I smelled any different. I didn't grow a halo and a pair of wings. But in that blinking of an eye, in that moment when I turned to Jesus, when I realized what He had done for me, Everything changed. My sins were forgiven. I was adopted as a child of God. I was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and Christ's righteousness was placed upon me. And on and on and on. This is the hope that Paul is talking about. That is the hope to which he called the Ephesians, and that is the hope to which God called me and you. And that's why we must not be fooled by teachers that are promising Things like prosperity or health or wealth or anything else that has to do with this earth. For that falls so supremely short of that which God offers you in Him. God offers us eternal hope. We need not look anywhere else. What has been done in Christ is for our hope. The risen Jesus reveals to us a hope that is beyond us that is beyond humanity, that is beyond the scope of this earth. It points to a kind of hope that is eternally rooted in the creator and designer of the universe. Nothing can shake that hope. There is no wind, nor no, any puffs or ice storms or anything that can overturn that hope. Just listen to Jesus in the Gospel of John. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? We can't even begin to fathom the glory of this. But the little that we can realize, there won't be a mortgage. There won't be any taxes to pay. There won't be anything that has to be fixed. There is no trash that has to be taken out. And there's no weeds in the yard to rip out. Basically, it is nothing like our experience living here on earth. And we have a supreme certainty of this hope because Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead. But Paul also prays for the Ephesians to know even more. So let's look at the end of verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. May we come to see more and more of that glory which is ahead of us. The inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of the king that is above all kings. And here's an important thing that we must realize. To be a Christian is not merely to have certain beliefs, to think a certain way, to do certain things and avoid other things. It's not just a philosophy or a religion with rituals. It's way beyond that, right? To be a Christian is to live in relationship with the living God, and it's to live life here on earth in the reality of God's promises. So that means while we're here and while we go on about our lives, working our jobs, going to school, cooking dinners for our families, cleaning up their messes, doing dishes, taking the car for an oil change, all that, while doing all that, may we see something if only but a glimpse of that glorious estate to which we are going. And that's Paul's prayer. Know your hope. Know your inheritance. Know where you're going. Don't live a life of insufficient certainty. For you have a supreme certainty of where you're going. And so we live then in the reality that that there is more than this world. We don't have a YOLO mentality, right? The mentality of our world that says we only live once. And therefore, we should do whatever we desire before the time runs out. Our hope isn't anchored to the things of this world. It's not dependent upon the political climate. It's not dependent upon the stock market, our careers, our relationships, our health. It really isn't. We see people all around us, in our community, in our nation, in our world that live like this world is all that there is. And those lives are in a sense lived contingent upon circumstances, right? If things are good, if the right candidate is chosen for presidency, if the bank account has a big enough of a buffer in it, if only the family is healthy. Unfavorable circumstances, on the other hand, which are inevitable in even the most pristine and picture-perfect magazine lives, will shake and tear and uproot and whirl everything to pieces. And if not sooner, At the time of death, all these things will be brushed away and they will wither like a flower. There is no one in the history of mankind that has ever escaped death. But there was one man who rose from the grave, right? There was one man who rose from the grave because death did not have power over him. And we don't live like this world is all that there is. We live proclaiming like the psalmist does in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We live in a world of uncertainty and fear. There is no doubt about it. We have suicide bombers lurking throughout most of the world. We had just started getting over the shock of the attacks in Paris when the, when the bombs exploded in the, in the Brussels airport. And then just a few days later, this, this very last week, more than 70 people, of which 29 children, Christians, Muslims, were killed by a bomb in an amusement park in Lahore, Pakistan. We all have loved ones that one day they seem totally fine, and the next day, They're diagnosed with an incurable illness. Maybe they're even given a few months to live. We all worry about the ability of our income to support our families. And what if I lose my job? My wife has a childhood friend whose husband has been working in the oil industry for quite some time. They've enjoyed terrific pay, terrific benefits, a beautiful house, a wonderful sense of security, until recently when the oil prices plummeted, and. While millions of Americans, myself included, smile as we're gassing up our cars because we're saving all this money. His family is packing up their house, moving from Wyoming back to Michigan because because he was laid off and now they have to move in with their parents. This world is uncertain. Uncertainty is real. You have stories yourself of how uncertainty is playing out in your life right now. To live in this world is to live in uncertainty. We might all be dead tomorrow. How would we know? So we must ask, where is our hope? What do we hold on to? If you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can say with the psalmist, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? That means that you can live right in this life, right on earth, in the midst of this uncertainty. You can live with your eyes set on that which is ahead of you. You have the most glorious inheritance in God. God has made it possible through Christ for us to live in supreme certainty. And because of this, I think Christians can be a real difference in this world. We have the ability to work harder for good in this world right here and right now. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about where we're going We can be the light in our community. We can love the people around us. We can sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. We really can. Why? Because to us, this world isn't all that there is. We can, as the author of Hebrews wrote, fix our eyes on Jesus. This doesn't mean that all Christians do, but all Christians can. And I think we all should. But, of course, we're humans. We like to say, but. But how do I do this? I don't amount to much. I don't know much. I'm still a miserable sinner. And besides that, I'm tired and busy and weak. But. But Paul defeats that kind of thinking with a truth that is so crucial to who you are and to who I am. Let's read verses 19 through 21. I pray that you may know We've established that what has been done in Christ gives us a hope that cannot be shaken and an inheritance in God that is so glorious that nothing compares to it. Paul also prays that we would know the incredible power that lives within us. Now, God raised Jesus from the dead. I, nor you, have ever seen anyone rise from their grave. Our human experience tells us that once you're dead, you're dead. But the resurrection drives the hammer to the nail one final time. God really is God. He is who he says he is. He is the I am of the universe. God raised Jesus from the dead. He showcased his supreme power and left no doubt about who he is. The power that lives within us, Paul says, is the same. It doesn't matter who you think you are who others think you are. Maybe you think too much of yourself, or maybe you think, maybe you don't think much of yourself at all. Maybe you feel like a big failure, like you can't succeed at anything, or maybe you feel like you're the champion of everything. Regardless, God's power is in you. It doesn't matter who you are. Your hope, your inheritance, your salvation is not contingent upon you. It's not up to you to earn those things or Secure those things. You don't have to be picked first, have all A's, say all the right things, do the right things. You don't have to be anybody but you. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he has promised to do the same with you. If you're a believer, God has raised you to life, and he has promised to raise your dead body too. You have a hope and an inheritance in God that no one or anything can take away from you. Not even death. Death that is so strong that it will rip everything that you have and everything that you know from your hands. Cannot even touch your hope or your inheritance in Christ. The resurrection isn't just a story about the Son of God 2,000 years ago. It's a story about you and your life today. Because we live in a world of uncertainty and fear. But you have a hope that is anchored in Christ and what he did for you on the cross. Nothing can take that away from you. God has called you to himself. And you have the most glorious inheritance in him. Nothing comes close in comparison. God has promised to raise you up in eternal life to a place where there is no more sickness, no more strife, no more toil, no more sin. And it isn't dependent upon you. God loves you, and He is gracious towards you. Of course, you don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. We have rebelled against Him in our sin, and we deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. But Christ bore our sins on that cross, each and every one of them. And God's power lives within us. Life is hard, but God is with us and he has promised us a future that is far beyond the scope of what we can even imagine. But we need to pray for a glimpse of it. Pray for a glimpse of that promised land and pray that God would encourage us when we go to work, when we do the dishes, when we drop the kids off at practice or when we speak to that one friend. When we do life here on this planet, may we see a glimpse of what is ahead of us. Because we can live differently. We can be a light and we can love sacrificially because we live a life that is not rooted to this earth. We can live a life that is anchored in Christ and set for eternity. And we can do that because God has empowered us, He can raise the dead and He can raise us to life in Him. Now, if you're here today, but you're not a believer yet, you're not sure yet about this whole Jesus thing, I'm going to encourage you to pray one prayer, and that is that God would open the eyes of your heart. Pray that God would lift the veil off of your eyes, and that you would see that He is who He says He is. Because there is nothing else on the face of this earth, or in any human experience, in which you can anchor your soul and rest eternally with the creator, with the designer of the universe, by the God who made it all. God is who he says he is. We see that in the resurrection, and we see that in the power that lives within us. We are weak, but he is strong. You will go marching into glory, Christian. Who do you fear? What do you fear? What is holding you back? Go and be a true light in this community, because it needs it. Go and love that family member, that friend, that neighbor. They need it. You don't have anything to lose, but a lot of them do. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you are with Christ, The same power that raised him from the dead lives within you. And that kind of power can light a couple of neurons and it can set us in motion. Go and don't be afraid. Don't be uncertain. You have a supreme certainty of what is ahead of you, made possible by Christ and what he did for you. You have a hope, a glorious inheritance, and God lives within you. Christ has secured that for you. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we, we praise you. We praise you for opening the eyes of our hearts and for the sacrifice of your son on the cross enabling us to be with you. We bring all the glory to you, Father. And we just pray that you would continually open the eyes of our hearts, that that your Spirit would live within us and that, that that we would see a glimpse of what is ahead of us and that that would enable us to live here right now, not rooted to this earth, but rooted to your eternity and anchored in Christ.